Coach Prime has put together a better first three years than both Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney. I got receipts. USC needs Alex Grinch to come through with this thing like he's never done it before to get Lincoln Riley to where he's never gone before. And the best quarterback in the 2024 class is a lefty who is revealing himself unto the blind, seeing that his own hands can make a world that exists only in his mind. Langston Hughes, stand up. Let's go. It's the number one college football show. What's up, kinfolk? It's RJ Young. I am not on a step mill. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever it is you get your podcast. Today on the show, we have a lot to do. I have a 6,700-word rundown in front of me, and I can't wait to get started with the biggest topic on the show today, which is not Deion Sanders, but Deion Sanders' foot. All right? So you'll remember that Coach Prime, right? Went into surgery last year, or last week, excuse me, last year, last week and last year, to have blood clots removed from both of his legs to stimulate blood flow through both of his legs because he suffers from a condition that he has called hammer time, where he needs two toes that, well, are hindering his blood flow to get more blood flow, or he's going to have to have those amputated. Look. He has needed daily foot massages to stimulate blood flow in that left foot. He uses a Segway to get around. He uses a scooter to get around. He uses a cart to get around. But even those things allowed for blood clots to happen. He had those things removed, and he still needs to have a surgery to get the hammer toes. Ho, ho, hammer time. Sorry, I could not resist. Fixed, all right? So he had that surgery on Friday. He's fine. He's going to get back to work here in a little bit. But I thought it was funny that we're already talking about him having to lose the foot, right? That's how big the rumor got. He had to go to the YouTubes to tell everybody what's really good. He's expected to make a full recovery and be back with his team by preseason camp. Now, this is where it gets thick. Prime turns 56 in August, okay? I say that to say Nick Saban had hip replacement surgery in April 2019. At the age of 67, the same day he played 18 holes of golf, okay? By the next day, He was back in the office grinding, all right? That's the shot. Here's the chaser. Since we're here, I'm going to tell you that, one, Prime is no stranger to major surgery because he's a football player, and he has got off to one of the best starts any head coach has ever seen in college football history, especially when you take into account his contemporaries. He's 27-6 in two and a half years, first three seasons, really at Jackson State, and he won Coach of the Year in year two. He won two conference titles, and he played in the national, or excuse me, he coached the national championship game twice. Now, check this out. Lincoln Riley went 36-6 in his first three years with three conference titles, three double-digit win seasons, and a national, not a single national title game appearance, though he made the college football playoff all three of those years. He was also handed the keys to a Ferrari, or more to the point, to a Red Bull 2022 version stand up and was told to drive it, couldn't win a national championship with that. Dabo Sweeney went 20 and 15 in his first two and a half years at Clemson without a conference title, without double digit win seasons and without a national coach of the year honor, let alone playing in the college football playoff for a national championship. Kirby Smart 
32 and 10 his first three years, two double digit win seasons, one conference title, but again, no national coach of the year honor. And an appearance in the national championship later, you know, one, two cents. Nick Saban was 21 and 13 and one in his first three years as a head coach at Toledo and Michigan State. Didn't put together a double digit win season in any of those three years and did not win a bowl game for his first three bowl appearances. We're talking about losses. <laughs> We're talking about losses in 1990, 95, and 96, all right? Let me get more into that, but Saban never won a Big Ten conference title, right? Didn't win his first conference title until year eight as a head coach at LSU in 2001, and his first National Coach of the Year honor, or the Paul Bear Bryant Award, in year 10, 2003, which is the same year he won his first national championship. In that same stretch of time, from 1990 to 2003, Prime won two Super Bowls, made eight All-Pro teams, and won NFL Defensive Player of the Year. But RJ, Prime ain't won a bowl game. You're right. You're right. Again, Nick Saban didn't win his first three. And Prime's two losses were in the national championship game. Nick Saban lost the 95 Independence Bowl, the 96 Sun Bowl, and the 97 Aloha Bowl. In one of those games, he was blanked 38-0 to by Stanford. Okay, now, if you're asking why I'm comparing these two former defense backs turned ball coaches to one another, I'll say, look no further than those Aflac commercials that they be doing together when they do their Crockett and Tubbs routine. Miami Vice, stand up. And Prime is the only coach listed here. Lincoln Riley, Kirby Smart, Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney, who has won double digit games in his first three seasons won a conference title, two, and appeared in the national title game in his first three years. Not Saban, not Riley, not Sweeney, not Smart. Why I think this is interesting is because when draft season came around and we were comparing North Dakota State's Trey Lance to Ohio State's Justin Fields, y'all thought that was just fine. But if I tell you about what Deion Sanders had accomplished at Jackson State, a place most of y'all didn't even know was on the map in his first two and a half years, to what Clemson did in the ACC, somehow you want to catch some feelings. Prime, he just does it to y'all like that. All right, now let's go from that to my list of the top five quarterbacks in the 2024 class following Elite 11 Finals. Okay, so we're going to go five to one here. And I think we're already going to start something that is contentious. I got Ethan Grunkmeyer. Uh, who's committed to Penn State, at number five on my list, okay? This man walked onto a football field in Redondo Beach, California, ranked as the 625th player in the country and just the 40th best quarterback in his class. The nicest thing you could say about Ethan Grunkmeyer at Elite was that, well, he was committed to Penn State. And then he threw at Elite 11, right? And you could see it. You saw the size. You saw the arm talent. You saw the reserve. You saw the poise. Now, Grunkerbeyer got rid of the ball quicker than Georgia commit Dylan Rayola, Ohio State commit Eric Nolan, and Alabama commit and Elite 11 MVP Julian Sayan. He put together a better pro day circuit than Michigan quarterback Jaden Davis and Nolan. The man who might be a little bit chippy, because he still hasn't received an offer from Ohio State, though he grew up 20 minutes down the road in Lewis Center, 
also looks like a ready-made heir apparent to the guy who's going to be the starting quarterback this year, Andrew Allar. You've seen enough of Drew Allar to, to know that that dude can sling it, and he can sling it hard. He can sling it fast. Feel better about him being quarterback at Penn State now than I did in Sean Clifford since basically 2019, okay? And I think Grunkemeyer is going to be that guy for them. Also, Grunkemeyer is the guy that I'm thinking about when I look at Elite 11 because the top guys are always going to be there, and it's about where they're going to finish. For me, Elite 11 is about Ethan Grunkemeyer and C.J. Strouds. Guys ranked 625th in their classes and guys ranked 800th plus in their classes in the case of C.J. Stroud who used that circuit and its regionals to vault up the rankings to start to see the kind of looks and recruiting that their talent deserves. Obviously, Elite 11 became the place for which C.J. Stroud became the future of Ohio State football. I would not be shocked to find out an Ethan Grunkemeyer does the same for Penn State. Number four on this list, Texas Christian commit Hoffs. Haney, I don't think that I've liked the dude coming out of Alito, Texas, more since Jace McClellan. Like, if you like a dual-threat quarterback, and Texas Christian offensive coordinator Kendall Bryles does, then you're going to love Hoss Haney, okay? Led Alito to a 5A1 state championship. And if the, again, if that name sounds familiar, Alito, Jace McClellan came out of there. He plays tailback at Alabama. Now, if the man... Where number eight Adelito turns the corner on you, you best start getting used to the environs of a rotisserie chicken because you're likely cooked. All right. He's outrunning you at 5'11, 185. He's stocky too. And I love me a stocky quarterback. Also, a 4'4 guy in the 40s and has hit 10.68 in the 100 meter dash. That guy has 3,000 yard, 1,000 yard. All over him. 3,000 yards passing, 1,000 yards rushing. Hell, at Alito, he had 2,000 and 1,000. I really like what Texas Christian has coming to them in this class. Number three on the list. Alabama quarterback, commit, and Elite 11 MVP, Julian Sayan. I see the appeal here for Nick Saban. Really, this dude reminds me so much of Bryce Young. Not just because he is slight and slender, but because he throws the football with his entire body, and he is Accurate. I mean, we're talking about clipping the gonads off a house fly at about 20 paces accurate. Okay, that's why he won Elite 11 MVP. If you don't like the Bryce Young comp, go look at Cade Klubnik at Clemson, and you'll probably see what I'm talking about here. Number two on the list here, Dylan Rayola at Georgia. Now, for Dylan, it's difficult to tell you something about Dylan Rayola that you don't already know, but there's two ways that can, this can go for him, okay? With a man, I mean, a man's got a 17-minute, 30-second huddle film. Those of you that played high school football and even have some experience putting together huddle films know that seven minutes feels like an eternity. You got 17 and 30 minutes, or 30, 17 minutes, 30 seconds of material? Ain't nobody watching all of that, but you're still going to use it because that's how many plays he made as a sophomore. He can evade the rush. He's hard to bring down. He can evade the rush while looking to throw. There isn't a throw he can't make. He had 3,200 yards passing, 42 TDs as a sophomore, six foot three, 215, and growing. He's the most Thule quarterback in this class, probably the most Thule player in this class, but Thule does not always mean 
great quarterback play. And he's going to a place where they have a record of not playing the most talented quarterback quarterback in Georgia. Okay? See Fields, Justin. Okay? See JT Daniels. But we went with Stetson Bennett, and it worked out for them. What I'm saying is you could not see Dylan Rayola for the next three years after this, so I hope you like watching him at Elite 11 because they just ain't in the mood to play a freshman or a sophomore at quarterback at the University of Georgia. Okay, number one on the list for me, Ohio State commit and quarterback Prentice Air Nolan. All right, here's the thing. This dude set a record for the most points responsible for in Georgia high school football last year at Langston Hughes High School. He had 792 points. Think for a second about the kind of players who have come out of the state of Georgia. Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, Deshaun Watson, Cam Newton. And this dude set the single season record for points responsible for. Okay. Also led Langston Hughes to a 15-0 season and a Georgia State Championship. Threw for over 4,000 yards. Had 55 TDs through the air to just four picks. Now, Joe Burrow threw for over 5,000. Had 60 TDs and six picks. And I know that Langston Hughes ain't LSU, but it ain't like Aaron Nolan was out there throwing to Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, and Terrace Marshall. Okay? Keep it 100. All right? The only knock I have or anybody has on Nolan is he's left-handed. Just like the guy who came off the bench in the second half of the 2018 National Championship game against Georgia to find Devontae Smith in the back of the end, end zone for six in winning time. Dude by the name of Tua Tonga Valoa. Aaron Nolan, left-handed, just like a guy named Tim Tebow. Aaron Nolan, left-handed, just like a guy named Matt Leinart. Aaron Nolan, left-handed, just like a guy named Mike Vick. What are we doing here? Oh, I don't really want to flip my offensive line around for a left-handed quarterback. Fool, if Nick Saban, Urban Meyer, Pete Carroll, and Frank Beamer can do it, what do you look like not doing it? Now, he's committed to Ohio State. So Ryan Day is committed to doing this. Because Ryan Day is an outstanding offensive mind and an outstanding developer quarterback play. I don't think a dude being left-handed is going to throw him off, or for that matter, the rest of the offense. All right. Segment that I've been very much looking forward to following this top five QBs in the 2024 class, according to me, is the most intriguing assistant coaches in 2023, or a sexier question I put for myself. Which of these coordinators, coaches in the college football playoff, first at his current stop, if at all? So as we go through them, I'll tell you what I think. And at the end, I will tell you which one of these guys I think has the best opportunity to play, uh, to coach in the college football playoff at their present post. So number one on the list for us to talk about is Texas Christian offensive coordinator, Kendall Browse. I wrote about him in our roundtable at foxsports.com last week. And it was clear that Texas Christian needed to make a move because Garrett Riley took his Broyles award over to Clemson and will be their offensive coordinator. This is also a great opportunity for me to remind you that I have a Broyles award vote in 2023, and I am paying very close attention to these coordinators. So, in a Big 12 that is as thick through the middle as Homer Simpson after a dozen donuts and a sick pack of Duffies, I'm itching to find out if Browse can muster the kind of explosive offense Texas Christian showed itself capable of last season when it finished as 
the national title runner up. <laughs> Remember, this is a team that was thought to be so good that the college football playoff selection committee picked it ahead of Utah, Tennessee, USC, and to the chagrin of one Nick Saban, Alabama. All right. Also a team that finished as the fourth best team in the country after losing the Big 12 championship to Kansas State, a Kansas State team that got whooped, ran up and down the field, ups one side, down the other by Nick Saban and Alabama. Okay. Arkansas Kendall Bryles put together the nation's number seven rushing offense, 236.5 rush yards per game. Rocket Sanders had a lot to do with that. So did K.J. Jefferson. Pushed Arkansas to its third highest rushing yardage in a season since 2003 with over 3,000 yards on the ground. With a quality dual threat quarterback like Chandler Morris and a former Alabama running back at five-star in Trey Sanders, I believe that Kendall Bryles has what he needs at Texas Christian to make them the best rushing team in the country. And they might just need to be, as their week one opponent is Coach Prime, Colorado, Big New Fox. Yeah, I'm about it. I'm about it. Next on the list we got to talk about is Oklahoma defense coordinator Ted Roof. Okay? Okay, I wrote about him in the, in the roundtable last week, too, at FoxSports.com. And I'm going to tell you, Roof needs to produce a championship-caliber defense. It's, it's that short. Given the Sooners were awful on third down in 2022 and gave up 30 points per game, good enough for 99th out of 131 teams, you got to do something. Especially when you have been handing out scholarships like candy to transfers, particularly on the defense. We're talking about guys that are supposed to play important snaps in 2023. Wake Forest defensive end Rondell Bothroyd. He's a Sooner now. Defensive tackle Jacob Lacey out of Notre Dame. He's a Sooner now. Linebacker Dayson McCullough. He's a Sooner now, coming from Indiana. All lives are going to be on Roof and his unit, particularly during the conference slate when they did not look to be as good as they showed themselves to be in the non-conference. There's little doubt, though, that Roof owns the experience. 36 years this man has been coaching football, 12 different stops as defense coordinator, and the acumen to pull off a dramatic turnaround on the defense, right? But gone are the days when Oklahoma could simply outscore its opponents and get 12 wins. And if Roof doesn't find a way to stop the majority of Big 12 teams, there might be some doubt about what he's capable of doing in the vaunted SEC come 2024. Okay, next on the list, we got to talk about Alabama offensive coordinator Tommy Reese. Best possible program with the worst quarterback room since, you know, the Tide had Jacob Coker, Cooper Bateman, and Alec Morris as their quarterbacks. That was 2015. A little bit more on that, but you just need to know that was the quarterback groom in 2015. That was also the year Derrick Henry rushed for 2,200 yards and carried the mail 395 times in one damn season. That's the most that anybody's carried the Rock since 2015, and nobody carried the Rock more in the last 20 years Except Kevin Smith at Central Florida, he carried the ball 450 times in 2007. I know this because I was a cheerleader down in Orlando. It's hot as hell. Hot as hell. When this man was absolutely getting the ball handed to him by Blake Bortles and running up and down Tulsa's defense while I was getting flipped both birds by a little girl 
in a cheerleading outfit that said Golden Knights cross it. They'd be getting after it down in Orlando. I'm very excited to have them in the Big 12. They like their football. Okay. Other part about that that I think is interesting is Reese is going to try to get Jace McClellan close to that 395 number. It's probably going to be close to like 150, 175, 200, but they're certainly going to run the football a lot. He has brought in a return basically to Alabama's offense, making it more of a brawler once again than a range player from Cammy White in the last seven years to more like Zangief. You get what I'm saying? Those of you playing Street Fighter 6 understand what I'm getting at. Reese is also a brand new coordinator in that building. And he's got another brand new coordinator in that building in Kevin Steele. Now, normally, one of these guys would be able to lean on the other because you might retain the other coordinator or that person's unit might be that much more talented and better than yours. But he doesn't have that to fall back on. He's going to have to get this thing rolling right quick, fast, and in a hurry, especially knowing we don't know who the starting quarterback is going to be week one at Alabama because nobody's been able to demonstrate that it's their job. I mean, they even took Tyler Buckner out of the portal post-spring practice just so they get a little more competition come preseason. So Browse has got Joe Gillespie, who I genuinely believe was one of the great defensive coordinators in the sport and basically looking for a job in Texas that he could stomach as a head coach. Roof has Jeff Levy. We know he's capable of with that offense. Reese is the only guy that I missed uh, listed here that does not have a counterpart that he can rely on to help buoy him through those first three, four, five, six weeks of the season. All right, next on the list, we got to talk about Clemson offense coordinator Garrett Riley. The short but punchy fact is Garrett Riley did more at Texas Christian than Clemson did with considerably less in 2022. The Tigers haven't seen a 3,000-yard passer since Trevor Lawrence left in 2020. And they haven't seen a 3,000-yard passer and a 1,000-yard rusher in the same year since 2019. Lawrence had 3,600 pass yards, 36 TDs, and 8 INTs in that year. Travis Etienne had 2,000 yards from scrimmage, 1,600 plus on the ground with 23 total TDs. All right? At Texas Christian last year, Max Duggan passed for 3,698 yards, 32 TDs against 8 picks. Kendra Miller, running back, had 1,515 yards from scrimmage and 1,399 yards on the ground. 17 total TDs. Texas Christian, a small private Christian school in North Texas, averaged 38.8 points per game. That was ninth best in the country last year. Gave up 29 a game. That was 91st out of 131 teams in the country. And finished as the national title runners-up. In 2022, while Clemson averaged just 33.2 points per game, that's almost a touchdown fewer than the TCU Horned Frogs. My goodness. The man who coordinated Texas Christian's offense to those numbers, Riley now at Clemson, you get it, understand. But he's got Clay, Cade Klubnik, and he's got Will Shipley in the backfield. That means he's got a, the talent to produce a 3,000-yard passer and a 1,000-yard rusher in the same year and return the Tigers to averaging 40 a game, which – I had to really to look at this hard. It's the same number of points that Michigan averaged in 2022. We just didn't look at Michigan and think 40 a game. We might have thought decent. I mean, I didn't. And then I was talked into it. But 40 a game? Really? From Michigan? And then I got to look at Clemson? Vaunted Clemson? Dabo Sweeney's Clemson? Didn't put up more than 33.2? Okay. You get what I'm saying here. Now, last guy we got to talk about here. USC defense coordinator Alex Grinch. Grinch doesn't need to plot to steal Christmas 
run on hatred for Whoville or even field a great defense for USC to make the college football playoff. He just needs to field an opportunistic one that can get turnovers, tackles for loss, and keep offenses out of the end zone. That last part is most crucial. And he's done the first two at almost every stop he's had as defense coordinator. We're talking about Washington State, Ohio State, Oklahoma, and now USC. Year one in Southern California, Grinch's Trojan finished tied for fifth place in turnovers gained with 29 takeaways and tied third in INTs picked with 19 in 13 games. For the man who believes that 24 takeaways by the defense equals at least nine wins for the team, 29 feels like a damn good number. But there's evidence to suggest 24 takeaways doesn't mean your defense will play for a national championship. If USC's case, at least in 2022, right, doesn't mean that 29 takeaways even means a Pac-12 championship, what are we doing with the stat? What, what, what are we doing with the stat? Because you're past getting nine wins. You're not, you're not playing group of five football. You're certainly not at Washington State. No disrespect to Washington State, but you know what it is. You're at SC where you're only going to fill up the Coliseum if you are playing for the national championship, okay? They always want to tell me how nice it is out there. I was out there last week. It was very nice. Got to see a trash fire downtown. That was cool. But it's SC, right? Okay. Only 2004 USC won a national title while leading the country in takeaways with 38. And I'm not here for any of the vacated championships talk. I watched that team throttle Oklahoma. That's the national champion. All right. However... Okay, none of the teams who finished among the top four in the FBS in takeaways made the college football playoff either. Illinois had 32. Western Kentucky had 32. Louisville had 30. Middle Tennessee had 30. You're not thinking about those teams playing in the college football playoff, let alone winning a damn national championship. Okay, the same is true of the four teams that finished in the top four in FBS in interceptions. Illinois had 24. Middle Tennessee had 20. Western Kentucky had 19 and SC had 19. Take it to fumble recoveries, and you'll find once again, none of those four teams that finished at the top played in the college football playoff. Duke had 16. Louisville had 15. Buffalo had 15, and so did Florida. Look at Sachs. Louisville had 50. Pittsburgh had 48. Liberty had 45. James Madison had 38. Look at tackles for loss. 121 for Liberty. Clemson had 111. Southern Miss had 108. Lord help me, Oklahoma had 104 and still managed to win it six and seven. Usa. Now, you're right to question the competition that Liberty faces versus the competition that USC faces. I will grant you that, but you're also missing the forest for the trees here, homie. The name of the game isn't the best stat for the best team. It is the best team according to the eyeballs of a bunch of suits in a boardroom following the conference championship weekend. With few exceptions, those four teams generally play a Power 5 conference schedule. Check for USC. Rank among the top four or excuse me, rank among the top 15 in the sport and putting ports on the board. Also, check for USC most years. And stopping people from putting points on the board altogether. 
Yeah, that scoring defense, that's that's the bugaboo there. That's the bugaboo there. With Lincoln Riley calling plays and Caleb Williams running the offense, reigning Heisman winner, Superman, all that sort of stuff, USC's defense should not feel pressure to be the best unit, even in South Central. Okay? There's some peewee teams. Snoop got some teams playing better defense than the Trojans have, all right? They don't even have to be the best defense in the Pac-12. They damn sure don't have to be the best defense in the na- in the nation, and I don't think that they would be. But they've got to be to win a national title. But by now, you know, or it shouldn't surprise you, that defending national champion Georgia had the number five scoring offense and the number five scoring defense in college football. In 2021, when UGA won it, the Dogs fielded the number nine scoring offense and the number one Scoring defense. Take it to 2020. Mostly a junk year for everybody except Alabama, who won a national title, ran the table undefeated with the number two scoring offense in the country and the number 13 scoring defense. You have to get to 2019 before you see a national champ with a scoring defense ranked outside the top 15 in LSU, who finished number 33, but also fielded the best offense anybody has seen since God was a child. Okay, 2019 LSU, man, they was on defense. It's like a glass of milk on a paper plate in a snowstorm, okay? Joe Burrow had his foot so far up defenses behind. The water on their knee would quench his thirst, okay? My goodness. But take it to 2018, and we're back to normal. National champ Clemson had the number four scoring offense and the number one scoring defense. To put a sledgehammer period point on this here, Here are the national champs since 2000 who have led the FBS in either turnovers, sacks, interceptions, fumble recoveries, or tackles for loss, period. 2018 Clemson led the FBS in tackles for loss, 136, and sacks, 54. 2016 Clemson had 130 tackles for loss, best in the nation. 2015 Alabama had 51 sacks, best in the nation. 2013, Florida had 26 interceptions, best in the nation. 2004, USC, we covered. That's just one team since 2018. That means that's only one team in the past five years who has finished at the top of any one of these defensive stats we think changed football games and won the national championship. Meanwhile, that 2015 team, that had those 51 sacks, also had a 2,200-yard rusher, okay? The offense was Derrick Henry, and they ate the clock. Now, what does this mean for Alex Grinch and and the Trojans? It means that your number four scoring offense in the country had to pick up the 94th best scoring defense. I already told you, Oklahoma was awful. They ranked 91st. I told you Texas Christian was awful. They ranked 99. You can get there to the playoff. You can't win no national championship. It's not going to happen. And Grinch hasn't had a team finish better than 28th while a defensive coordinator, and that was paired with Lincoln Riley. Okay? 2020 is also a mostly junk statistic, and that's the year they finished 2020, uh, 28. 2020, when nobody knew anything. Okay? Every other team that he has coached with Riley in a regular-ass year has finished 60th or worst in scoring defense. You can't win a national championship with imbalance. Alex Grinch's defense, coupled with Lincoln Riley's offense, 
hasn't been carrying its weight. That's just it. That's it. So its best shot to get to the college football playoff depends on that man doing something he has never done to get Lincoln Riley the only trophy he has not picked up that means something, a national championship. And leaving the Pac-12 after this year, it ain't exactly going to get easier joining the Big Ten. So which one of these coordinators has the best chance to make the college football playoff, let alone win a national championship? I'm inclined to say, given that Clemson has fielded a top 15 scoring defense in four of the last seven years and still managed to rank number 22 in the country its first year post-Brent Venables, Gary Riley will find a way to get Clemson an extra seven points per game and put the Tigers back to 40 points per game on average in 2023. I'm also inclined to say that that machine in Clemson, South Carolina has more untapped potential under that hood and Riley's going to find it. I'm inclined to believe Garrett Riley returns to college football playoff before his big brother Lincoln, especially with the Trojans headed to a, again, loaded Big Ten in a year's time. Hell, with the reigning Heisman winner at quarterback, new athletic director yet to be hired, and a taste of the good life, Riley ought to sell out for a bid to the college football playoff in 2023, let alone the one item that he doesn't have as a head coach that means something to him, a national title ring. After all, what would family dinner in Mulshoe, Texas be like if Garrett shows up and slams his fist on the dinner table heavy with the weight of a national title ring before his big brother continues to search for his own? If it happened, I'm only going to be mad that I don't have a plate to watch how the discourse would go at a Riley family dinner. That is it for this episode of the number one college football show. We will be back on Friday to talk about the five most improved offenses going into 2023, according to me. All right. My thanks as always. To our lead producer, Tyler Wojak. Our senior producer is Catherine Donnelly. Our director is Kyle Holly. Gabe Sable is on the switches. Our social media maven is JV on Duncan. Our lead of screening are Torn Westfall and Jack Coley. Our production assistant is Kiara Santana. I'm the host, RJ. We will see y'all on Friday. Doses.